Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Has it been a good week? Boy, what a, what a powerful conclusion this morning, wasn't it? Man, oh man. You know, I heard that message that Rick Howard did. I heard it on tape when he did it here in 1967 at the fire camp, First Institute of Ride-On Evangelism. One of the folks in Bozeman had been at that camp, and he loaned me the tape in about 1974. And even, even on tape, it had a tremendous impact on my life. And then hearing it again this morning, I've, been, I've only heard it one other time since 1974, uh, just those same, same feelings and, and awe of the reality that one day we'll stand before the Lord and our, our lives will be evaluated. Man, what a powerful thing. Praise the Lord. Well, let's ask Jesus to, to be with us and to, to minister this last time we're together. Thanks, Lord, for the great things that you've done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for making yourself more real to us, Lord. Thank you that we can hear your voice and be led by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are committed to us to teach us and to train us and to prepare us as, as vessels of honor that you might use for your your special projects that you would desire to do in the world, Lord. I pray that you will minister now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Grant faith and courage, Lord, as we, as we share and conclude this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've had the privilege of praying with several of you this week, and I'm, I'm hearing reports and I'm, I'm seeing evidence that of, of uh, different ones of you have um, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have come into the dimension of speaking in tongues. That's an exciting thing that happened. Uh, I just talked to a, a gal who's not in the class here, but she had, had, had just had a few questions, and she grabbed me and said, guess what? At four in the morning, I received, you know, it was exciting. <laughs> four in the morning. Well, it doesn't matter if you receive at four in the morning or whenever. The Lord just wants you to walk in this, this tremendous dimension, this dimension of power, this dimension of prayer that he has, he has made available. Once again, I, I'll have some free time here, and a, a couple of you have mentioned that you would like to talk with me, so if you just will come up afterwards, we'll kind of set a little schedule for this afternoon. I'd be happy to, to talk if you have any more questions. If there's any others of you that would would like to be prayed for, I'd be happy to do that. If, if, you're, if you're sensing it, oh, oh, man, this is, this is for me, this is the time, I just encourage you, don't, don't leave without getting prayed for. Because that's a sign, see, that the Lord's drawing you and telling you, hey, it's time, and I want you to, to walk in this. Remember, just a couple of thoughts about the gift of tongues, that the, the gift of tongues is to be used privately. That's the place where it builds us up and prepares us for ministry. Um, when sometimes, for, especially from people that come from a non-Pentecostal background, sometimes uh, Pentecostals can give the impression that if you if you get the gift of tongues, you're going to be weird. You know, it's like you, you know you're going to come under some other kind of influence, and and that that really isn't true because the Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, and and you don't have to act weird with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't make us weird. 
You know, the Holy Spirit wants to make us like Jesus. And my, my encouragement to you is that as, as you come into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you commit yourself to using the gift that God's given you in private. Use it daily. Speak in tongues, like Paul says, more than y'all. And as you do that, you'll find this, this, the, the work of the Spirit working in your life, and you're going to find new avenues for the Holy Spirit to work through your life. Now, that's just one part of the Christian life. You know, we still need to study the Word. We still need to, to witness and all the other things we do in our Christian life. This is just one part that we're, we're just emphasizing during this class, but it's just a part of the whole Christian life. And then we talked about some principles of how to hear God's voice. We did that yesterday. We uh, mentioned that obedience is a key attitude. You need to be committed to obeying the Holy Spirit, whether that's conviction of sin, whether that's moving in a certain direction, going and praying for someone, whatever it is, as you ascertain that it is this indeed is God speaking to me, then I need to be willing and step out and obey. It, uh, it doesn't do you any good to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then after he tells you, then you say, well, I'm not sure I want to do that. That really fouls up guidance. And, and the Lord really will quit speaking to you because he only speaks to folks that are willing to do his will. And so that attitude of obedience is, is so important. And then as you obey the promptings of the Spirit, then the Lord's going to confirm to you that, yes, you're walking in the right way. And with that, then confidence grows in the voice of the Lord. And then the next time God speaks to you, it's a little easier to obey. And then you'll finally come to the place where in a certain area, God can speak to you and you, you just automatically do it because you're just very confident that, um, that that's the Lord and he's wanting to lead and use you in a certain way. Yes? I Yes, First Corinthians fourteen twenty eight. Yeah, I think you know when it's when when it's done, you know, quietly under your breath. I think that's permissible, you know, in the guidelines of Scripture. You know, what Paul was trying to correct was just this meeting where everybody was getting together and just bombastically speaking in tongues. And, you know, everybody was having a good time. But Paul says, no, no, that's not the purpose of it. You know, there's a higher purpose, and that's to edify the church and to build up the church. So we need to realize that Paul's not down on tongues, but he's bringing a corrective word to bring the Corinthian church into more of a mature use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, Julie. Well, I, I have encouraged the people that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit to use the language because it's new. You know, the first few times, it's, it's just really different, isn't it? Because it's a new thing for you. You're not used to speaking in a language that you don't know. And so I encourage people as they, they, they receive the gift that they need to spend some time 
um, whether it's alone or with a few other believers would be okay, but to use the gift. And, and it's, it's like, let it become established in your life. So one of the things that inevitably happens to a, a person that's, um, that's received tongues is, is in, a, in a, a few days or in a few weeks, the devil's going to come and say, you just, you're making this whole thing up. Have all of you had some experiences like that? See, the devil challenges it. And, and, and see, if it really doesn't take a hold in your life, then you begin to doubt and you wonder, well, maybe I'm just making this up. And then you quit using it, and, and then you really wonder, well, am I baptizing the Spirit? And, and you're really in a state of confusion. And, and just those lies can tend to nullify the, the baptism of the Spirit. I've ministered to many people where that's happened. And as, as we prayed again and we've looked at the Word and established their, their faith on, on God's Word, what the Lord says about speaking in tongues, and they've come back into it, and then I said, now you've got to use this and you've got to stand on the Word of God. Because remember, the devil contests everything. The devil contests every step of maturity we take. And that's, you're, you're going to find that the rest of your life. That every time you take a step towards maturity, there's going to be this pressure that you fight. And it's going to be doubts. It's going to be criticism, intimidation. That's just the way the enemy works. You know, Any time you take new ground, new, new arenas of faith, there's going to be that fight. But you just have to, you have to, that's part of the fight and running the race like Rick has been talking to us about. Okay. Is there any other questions or anything anyone else like anyone else would like to ask? Yes. I think the, the, the principle on whether you should or not you should use a fleece is, uh, I, I think we need to be cautious about using fleeces. I, I, um, sometimes they can be a cover for unbelief, you know? Sometimes we can, you know, maybe we just don't want to do something and so we're just kind of making excuses. I would say that the bigger the decision to be made, remember I mentioned the bigger decision, the more confirmation that is needed, and so if it's, if it's uh, you know, a, a, a decision that has larger ramifications in your life, then the Lord doesn't mind you asking for confirmation. The Lord doesn't mind. And, and sometimes you may lay a fleece. Now, I've laid some fleeces that never worked at all. And I've laid some others, and they, they have come about. And so you just, I think one just has to be cautious about how they use that. But the Lord is never going to be upset with you if you ask him for confirmation of a direction. It, it's the only time he gets upset is when you know that you're supposed to go that way and then you just start kind of playing games with God because you don't really want to do it. Then, then you're going to get on thin ice and dangerous ground. But until you really know, especially in terms of, you know, you know maybe a next move you're to make in, in, in a career or a ministry move or, you know, a move that's a fairly substantial life choice, be cautious and allow the Lord to confirm his word to you. And see, as the Lord begins to speak vision into your life, and I hope that the Lord is speaking vision. And it, it's a tremendous thing when the Lord begins to speak to us about dreams and things that he wants to do. But realize that those dreams may be quite a ways away till their ultimate fulfillment. And, and uh, the Lord, when I started uh, working on our campus in 1975, I was, we, we spent a, a couple of days together in prayer and fasting with my student leaders. And, and, and I was asking the Lord to, to give us some direction, some solid direction that we could plant 
our campus ministry on. And the Lord spoke to me from Psalms 2.8. And that, that verse says, Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance, and you shall rule them with a rod of iron, and you shall, um, you shall rule them with a rod of iron. And um, the, the, uh, the, the promise that the, Lord, that the Lord gave to me is that I was to ask for Montana State University as my inheritance. And that out of that university, he would raise up people that would, that would go to the ends of the earth. You know, students, professional people, teachers, preachers, missionaries, all kinds of folks. And see, that, so that was, that's a, a target that God gave to me. And it was, it's a real tangible reason why I'm, I'm ministering at Montana State University. And I've, this is my 15th year there now. Now, has that vision been totally fulfilled? No. No, I, but, we're, but every year, I think, see, we're walking more in the purposes of God, and I'm seeing more releases towards that happening. I don't think I've seen the ultimate fulfillment of it, but we've seen, I've, I've seen substantial fulfillment of it over the years. Some of those things may, may be years, you know, in ultimately getting worked out in your life. Remember when Joseph received the dream of, uh, of his brothers and sisters bowing down to him? He was just a young whippersnapper, and he unwisely began to tell his brothers and sisters that, that they'd be bowing down to him, and, and he was despised as, as the favored child. And that went over like a lead balloon, you know, and his brothers, his brothers said, oh, we're not going to bow down to you. And they finally, you know, sold him into slavery that, that fed resentment. And Joseph was unwise that the way he, he was cocky and said, hey, you know, God's going to use me. And, and he, that cockiness got him into trouble and sent him down to Egypt for 13 years. Sent him in prison for a long time. But it was a long time before that ultimately came to reality. And yet the Lord was faithful to do it. As the Lord does give us dreams and visions, there, there's a time of testing and preparation that will refine our lives, that will build the character within our lives in order for us to, to carry the kind of ministry that, that God wants to give us. And so in, in terms of vision like that, see, there, there's a time when God begins to speak that, and, and then there's a time of preparation, and then down the road, the Lord will begin to resurrect that, that dream and vision, and, 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 it, and it will become a reality. So it's, it's important for one to be patient and to, uh, to walk with God all through that process. Yeah, some people do get literal visions. I, I haven't had a 3D Technicolor one yet, but I get envious of those who do get them. You know, I realize, see, all these things need to be tested because we're walking in a realm that's risky, aren't we? And, and we see, we really have to be serious before the Lord in terms of really testing these things. And, and I'm, I'm sure we've all seen people that have, you know, gotten dreams and visions. And, and sometimes it just doesn't seem to add up in their lives. It just, it, it's like, wow, there's something missing, maybe character wise in the person's life. And that's why we just need to be, be sincere in our, in our, in our, in our uh, waiting before God, being in the Word of God, and obedient to what God tells us to do now so that He can build in us the ability to fulfill those dreams. But, but God does. You know, the Bible says in the last days from Joel, the book of Joel, says that God will pour out His Spirit and, and our, the old men shall dream dreams and the young men shall see visions. And uh, the maidservants and the, the, the slaves can prophesy. This is a sign of the, of the, the last days. And so we, sh we should expect God to speak to people. 
Now, you can't demand that God speak to you in a vision. We just have to receive the way God will speak to us. I mean, he, he, it's up to him to speak. It's up to us to listen and receive. And just because you receive a vision doesn't mean you're any more spiritual than anybody else. Just God speaks to us the way we need to be spoken to, you know. But yes, that does happen. People do have visions and dreams, and, and they need to be tested. And, and if, as they're obediently walked out, they're going to happen, you know. The director of Youth with a Mission, and this is described in Lauren's book, is that really you, God. Lauren Cunningham is one of my heroes of faith. And when he began the ministry of Youth with a Mission in 1960, him taking a group of young people to down to the Caribbean islands, God, during that time, God gave him a vision, and the vision was a, was a map of the world, and these waves were washing upon the continents. And as he looked closer, these waves weren't water, but they were waves of young people carrying the gospel to, to literally the whole world. And he, that was given to him in 1960. And now here it's, you know, 1989, and, and, and Youth with a Mission has grown tremendously, and they're... they're, they're there's probably six or 7,000 full-time workers worldwide, and, and they're targeting 50,000 wor workers by the year 2000. And see, only God can bring that kind of multiplication and increase. And if the vision is from God, and, and if they're faithful, then God will fulfill it. See, God wants to, he wants to do things like that for our lives. Amen. Another question? See that that's that's a real touchy question. You know, do you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I I refuse to try to quantify something that that um, you know that that is an experience and that is intended. It's not intended to be defined like that. Now, and what I tell people is that not that you have to speak in tongues, is but that you can. The, the Lord wants you to, and and you know, and if you are so willing, that's something that you can come into. You know, and there's reasons why you should come into it. You know, but to say, well, if a person doesn't speak in tongues, they can't be effective for God is absurd. Because there's many men and women throughout history that have been powerfully used of God and, and, and didn't speak in tongues. You know, so see, you can't quantify the, the you know, that's where we get into trouble. And then, then we get in, then we start getting in arguments. And then um, we start criticizing people that perhaps don't move in the gifts. And then they feel like we're judging them. And see what it just tears Christ's body apart. So, it, so it, it isn't a theological issue so much as do you want all of God, you know? And I see in what, what Rick said uh, somewhere this week, he says, don't judge, the, don't judge another person. And we're, we're not to judge one another's effectiveness like that, but we're to love and encourage and pray for one another, you know? And if we disagree on some of these minor things, it's okay. And, and you know, you may, you know, some people disagree about speaking in tongues. And that's okay. We can still have fellowship and love Jesus and serve him together. Because, see, tongues is not the central issue. Jesus is. And this is just really a side issue. You know, we don't want to make it the focus. Jesus is the, is the focus of our, of our love and devotion. And I try to encourage people rather than condemn them like, you know, well, you're, you're somehow a second-class Christian. But I just encourage them to, to just to, to hear from God and move in everything that the Lord has for them. You know, there was one other question here. Yes. 
Yeah, that, I, I don't have an answer for that. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen that I don't understand. You know, I, I really don't understand all that happens. Mm-hmm. Isn't it great? I mean, <laughs> who knows the ways of God? I mean, I don't know. You know, God's God. And he does what he does, and he knows what's best. And we, we just can't, we can't twist his arm, you know? Like, all I can do is love him and serve him. And I rejoice when I do hear of something happening in a family, you know? It's, yeah, I, I mean, there's just a lot of things we don't understand, to be honest with you. All right, I want to conclude our times together by looking at a passage from John chapter 5. I've been alluding to this several times this weekend, and I want to look at verses 16 through 20. And in these passages, Jesus gives us his model for ministry, and I believe that this is our model that, that we are to follow. The context to this is Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, and the, the tradition there was that Every so often, um, an angel would come and stir up the water, and, and then the first invalid into the water would get healed. So these folks were waiting around. These were paralyzed people. And this was their only hope in life, that maybe today the angel would stir the water, and, and they'd get into the pool and be healed. And so Jesus comes and he approaches just one man. Now, isn't it interesting? Here's a, probably a whole group of paralyzed people, and Jesus picks out one man in order to speak to. And he goes up to him and he says, uh, you know, do you want to get well? And, and he starts saying, well, you know, that when the angel stirs up the pool, I can't move and somebody gets in before me, so I never get healed. And Jesus says, uh, you know, take up your, your bed and walk. And the guy did it. And as he picked it up, he was healed and, and he went out. Now, the Pharisees were, were not very happy about that because it was on the Sabbath day that, that Jesus did that. It's always amazed me, you know, if somebody was paralyzed and they got healed, man, I would be so happy. You know, I'd think, wow, what a wonderful thing, this person that, you know, hasn't been able to walk maybe ever, or at least maybe in years, and suddenly they get healed. I would just be rejoicing. And you know, the Pharisees, they didn't care that the guy had gotten healed, but they were offended because Jesus did it on the Sabbath day. This says in verse 16, and for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. So apparently God works on the Sabbath day. The Father does. So because the Father does, Jesus does. Verse 18, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with a God. Jesus therefore answered and said, and when was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in a like manner. The Son can do nothing of Himself. And if Jesus could do nothing of Himself, 
how much can we do? Probably less than nothing, right? See, Jesus, we, this is such an important principle to understand, that Jesus did not run around doing his own thing. He didn't run around and say, wow, these folks need to be healed, or these, these folks need to be fed, and these folks need to be preached to. Jesus didn't do that. He walked in, in explicit obedience to what his father told him to do. And if the father said, heal Lazarus, or raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus did that. If the father said, slip away and pray for the night, he did that. And in this instance, the father said, go into the pool of Bethesda, and there's one man there that I'm going to heal today. And that's what Jesus did. See, Jesus, everything Jesus did was at the father's initiative. In John 15, 5, the Bible says that uh, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a, that's a real humbling verse to me, because apart from Jesus, there's nothing that I can do, at least of any eternal value. And I need to really um, evaluate this idea of working for God, because I really don't work for God. God does his works through me. And, and um, see, when I came out of, after being in youth with a mission for a couple of years, I had a real, I gained a strong world vision and YWAM is, is very strong on vision, and, and they are, their goal is to reach the nations, all the people groups, all the you know, 16,000 unreached people groups. There's a, there's a strong emphasis on that. And when I, when I left YWAM and started working in campus ministry, I carried with me that burden to reach the nations. But the kind of the downside of that in my immaturity was that I, I felt guilty as I was walking around campus, I was feeling guilty for not evangelizing enough. And I'd, and I'd, you know, I'd take some time off, and I felt this nagging guilt and, uh, and, and, and stuff that was nagging at my heart, saying, you're not doing enough. And, and, and I would say for a couple of years, I was really a driven person. And, and it, was, it was not driven merely by a, a zeal for God, but it was, it was a combination of guilt and, com- and condemnation. And, and it was... Uh, it wasn't a good thing operating in my life. And it wasn't until Salt 76, when I came here in 1976, a man named Dick Foth spoke that week. And he spoke on the love of God. And it was, it was a tremendous revelation to me that, that God loved me just where I was at. And, 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 and that, yes, he, the, the Father wants to reach the world, but that I could just relax. And that the Father will show me what I'm to be doing each moment of the day. Every direction, every step that I'm to take, the Father will, will, you know, will ordain that and show that in my life. And so instead of me carrying the responsibility for reaching the whole world, which in a sense I had, I was carrying the responsibility like this all depends on me. And, and it was kind of crushing me. It was, a, it was a weight that I wasn't ordained to carry. And when I realized that all I had to do was to do the things that the Father was telling me to do, then I would fulfill my ministry. And so I, I was about three years old in the Lord at that time, and, and I started living that way, and I started to just relax and enjoy my Christianity. I, I, I enjoyed my prayer times and my fellowship and worship much, much more than it just being a real intense, got to do this, got to do this, and being driven by it. That was a real point of me being set free. And that's what Jesus wants all of us to be. See, the Father is doing his work in the earth. See, the Father's been doing things at this camp. 
The Father has brought, brought many of us here sovereignly for this week because he said, I'm putting together something that, that I want to impart certain things to every one of you. And as I simply can learn to tune in to what the Father wants me to do, then I will fulfill my ministry. See, I'll do the things that the Lord wants me to do. And Jesus either must have perceived the Father's presence or he heard the Spirit's directions. And see, Jesus had such an intimate love relationship with his Father that he trusted him. And when the Father said, son, it's time to go out and do this, Jesus could do it. And, you know, you, as you read the Gospels, you get a sense of the immense pressure that came upon Jesus at, as, as his ministry went on and the, the, the pressure from the Pharisees and, and, of course, the powers of darkness, the power through the powers of darkness came through the Pharisees and this pressure on Jesus. And he knew that it was going to end in death. And every, every day he ministered, the pressure got greater and, you know, the, the plot was thickening and he knew ultimately that he would give his life. And yet every day he could do, he just did what the father had told him to do. And Jesus trusted the father that, yeah, the father's going to show me what to do. That's the model, I believe, that we're to walk in ministry. That's the model I believe that you are to learn to walk because God has a certain work, just like there's a certain race for you to run. The Lord has a certain work for you to do, and that's all you have to fulfill. You don't have to fulfill anybody else's work, but you, you, you simply have to fulfill the work that the Father has for you to do. In John 13, Jesus makes this comment. He says, I have finished the work that the Father gave me to do. Isn't that a great sense of, of accomplishment? What a great sense of, of relief knowing that, hey, I did the work that the Father gave me to do. And Jesus, of course, accomplished eternal salvation. I mean, that's a monumental thing that he accomplished. But, you know, Jesus didn't preach to everybody, did he? He didn't heal everybody. He really only, only really impacted a very small part of the earth, just the area around Palestine. And yet he did what the Father told him to do, and what the Father told him to do was enough. And that's all we have to do. See, I have to learn to know what the Father wants me to do. And when I fulfill that, then I will fulfill my ministry. Now in verse 20, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show that you may marvel. I want you to circle that phrase, For the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. That's such, a, that's such a precious phrase, the Father loves the Son, because it gives us some insight into the kind of relationship that Jesus and his Father had. You know, you don't have to be a Christian very long before someone waxes eloquent and they, they lay on you the three Greek words for, for love. Do you know what they are? Agape, phileo. And, and eros, yeah, okay. Yeah, man, you don't have to be a Christian very long and somebody's going to lay that on you and you go, all right, you know. And, of course, eros is, is, is the word for erotic love, sexual love, and that's ordained in the place of marriage. You know, God is pro-sex, but he wants it to take place in the confines of marriage. And, and to take it outside of that is to misuse and bring destruction and hurt to our personality. And God says, hey, use it in the right place. And it's to be used and enjoyed, and, and it's a wonderful thing. We... Um, Look at the word agape. That stands for commitment kind of love. This was an obscure Greek concept. They didn't use this word very much and because they didn't have much commitment in the Greek society. So Paul, uh, 
or Jesus pulls this word and uses it very, very in a very designed way to communicate that agape love is a love of commitment. It's not a love that feels good, but it's a love that's committed to doing the right thing. Uh, some of you have heard this definition, love is choosing the highest good for another person. Love is choosing the highest good. So when the Bible says love your enemies, it's the word agape. It doesn't mean you have to feel good about your enemies, but it does say that I must make choices for their highest good. And agape is used extensively in the New Testament. Now, the, the other word, phileo, this is the word for, for affection, natural demonstrated affection. It's a, it's a, it's a word of friendship. It's, it's a word of, of intimacy, but an intimacy that's kind of like, you know, soul buddies, David and Jonathan kind of relationship. And when the, in the Greek language here, when it says the father loves the son, the Greek word that's used here is phileo, not agape, obviously not eros, but, uh, but it's the word, it, it's the agape word, it's the Greek word phileo. And the father, see, Jesus understood the natural demonstrated affection that the father had for him. And see, Jesus, I believe, walked in the security of knowing that his father loved him. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3 briefly. Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3. We'll begin with verse 13. Let me paint a little word picture here. You know, we, we realize that Jesus was born. He's a immaculate conception. Um, he was a miracle child. Mary had no intercourse with, with anyone, and, and yet she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And as, as, as Jesus grows up, um, he, he, he grows up as a human being. You know, Jesus needed to have his diapers changed. He needed to be potty trained. I mean, all that stuff that, you, that we went through and you'll go through when you're a parent with your children. Jesus went through that. And, and he was utterly human, utterly human. I think sometimes we fail to realize that Jesus was, was utterly human. In fact, from uh, about uh, the age, well, he, you know, he, they say he began his ministry at about age 30. That means he lived at least 10 years of his adult life in Galilee, and nobody knew that God was living next door. I mean, I mean think of that. Think of that. Jesus, and that was a very common name. There was nothing special about the name Jesus. It was very common. Here, God was living next door, and nobody knew it. You get a sense of this if you look in, in, I believe it's Mark chapter 8. Let me see if I'm getting the right reference. Mark chapter 6. Yeah, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. This is right after Jesus is baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit. He goes back to his hometown, and he comes there with power and signs and wonders. And everybody is astonished, the scripture says, in verse 2. And when Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And this man was the Jesus that they knew before. Where did he get these, uh, this wisdom given to him? And, and such miracles are, are performed at his, by his hands. Is this, is, this, is, not this the, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Do you see how common Jesus was? And now he comes anointed by the Holy Spirit, and they're all just totally offended, and they can't understand what's happened to him. And that means, see, that's how common Jesus was. And imagine Jesus waiting 
until the father would say, son, it's time for you to go. You know, he's 20 years old at the prime of his life, and here he is, you know, hammering nails, whatever they did for carpentry in those days. He's working in that shop, and he knows the destiny of the father is that he's the Messiah. And yet he's, he, he's, he's crying out, to, probably out to God, saying, God, is it time? And the father says, wait, son. And he gets 25, and he says, Father, I'm not getting any younger. Father, 26, 27, 28, 29, Lord, when are you going to do this thing? Waiting until the father would say it's time. And then one day, the father speaks quietly to his son and says, son, it's time. And Jesus puts away the tools in the carpentry shop. He shuts the door with finality, and he walks down to the Jordan River. And there John the Baptist recognizes him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then he was baptized and then anointed by the Holy Spirit, and that, that launched Jesus into his ministry. See, but before then, he was totally obscure. He was nobody. Nobody knew that God was living next door. And see, Jesus is our model because he walked as a human being. Yes, he was told, he's the God-man. He's totally God, and he's totally man. But he did his works of power, not because he was God, but because he was man anointed by the Holy Spirit. And in that way, we can identify with him. See, he did all those things not by his godhood, but by the Holy Spirit, which anointed him. And that means, see, I can walk in the same path that he did. Some people say, well, yeah, Jesus could do those miracles because he was God. No, he didn't do them by his godhood. He did them by his Humanity by the whole, and the Holy Spirit anointing that so that we too can follow in his steps. So Matthew chapter 13, um, Jesus came to be baptized. John, John said, no, no, you, Jesus, you should baptize me because John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And did Jesus need to repent? No, he didn't. He lived perfectly. And so there was no need for Jesus to be baptized with a baptism of repentance. But Jesus said to him, John, permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. Now listen to this. And behold, the heavens were opened. How'd you like to have been there? Once in a while in Scripture, the heavens get opened and you get to see into heaven. And that's what happened. I'm not sure if the rest of the people saw it, but heaven was opened. And it says that, that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove. So there, there was some kind of visible thing that came down. And, and I like to picture this as the Father just rips open the sky. He's up there in heaven, you know. And then he reaches down to his beloved Son and, and he embraces him with his Spirit. So it's almost like, like the father just gave his son a hug of affirmation. And then the voice from heaven came and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done any ministry yet. And the father is saying, My son, I am pleased with you. And that's the kind of revelation of God's love that we need to walk in if we're going to do the, 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 the works of the father. I need to hear the Father say to me, you are my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter, and I love you, and I care for you, and because I love you, I'm going to use you in my ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to teach you by the Holy Spirit the things that I want you to do. 
A verbal affirmation. It only happens a couple of times in Scripture, but it was a verbal affirmation from the Father. And see, Jesus in his humanity needed to hear that, just like we need to hear the Father affirming us and telling us that he loves us and he, that, he cares, that he cares for us so much. This is, this is what I call walking in the circle of the Father's love. That's what I call walking in the circle of the Father's love. And the imagery that I got for that name came from a television show that I watched when I was a little kid, and I don't even remember what the name of it was. And this was probably in the mid-50s, so this is way back in the Dark Ages. And, and uh, there was a certain man who sa- had a television program, and he sang. And there were three spotlights, a larger one, a smaller one, and then a real small one. And, and his trademark at the end of the show is he'd step into the first spotlight. And then he'd, you know, kind of wave goodbye, and then he'd disappear, and then he'd, then he'd see him in the second one, and he'd wave goodbye, and then he'd, then he'd sing in the third one, and then he'd disappear, and that would be the end of the show. But that image always, for some reason, always stuck in my mind of that, that circle of light and him standing in that. And I, I, I think that's the analogy that I like to, to use of what it means to walk in the Father's love, what it means to walk in that conscious reality that God loves me. That he wants to use me, even in all of my imperfection, and yes, some of the sin that's still in my life, the Father still loves me, and he wants to use me. And, and the essence, really, of walking in the Spirit is just, is just staying in that circle. And see, as, as the Father's love moves me around through my day, through my life, all I have to do is stay in that circle. And I'll be right where the, where the Father wants me, and I'll be in a place where God can, can speak to me, where he can use me, and where my life will be effective for him. Because we talked about the fact that to hear God's voice means to take a risk. And God's going to ask you to take risks, just as Jesus took risks. But I can afford to take the risk when I know whom it is that is asking me to take that. See, I can afford to take the risk of looking foolish before people if I know that the Father loves me. And I'm walking in that circle of his love. The eighth chapter of Romans and and verse 14 tells us that that God has not given us a spirit of fear leading to slavery again, but he's given us the spirit of adoption. And the spirit of adoption is that spirit that that has brought us into the family of God. And God has made a choice and he's elected us and he's saying, hey, I have chosen you to be in my family. That's what the spirit of adoption is. And all, all what Rick has been really hammering at this week, the fact that, that in, we don't earn our salvation. We, we do not in any way perform for our salvation. It's a gift from Jesus Christ. What I do with that gift is important, but in terms of my salvation, it's a total gift of Jesus. And I, I see I've been adopted. I've been chosen by God. See, God, God's called my name and said, Dick Schroeder, I want you in my kingdom. And he's called me there. And see, so there's nothing that I can do to, to get to, to cause him to reject me. Because he's called me and he adopted me. He took the initiative. He purchased me off the slave block when I was, when I was dead in my sin. And he purchased me. He says, I'm taking you. I'm going to buy you back from Satan and the power of sin. And because he's adopted me, see, I, I, there's nothing I can do to, to make him stop loving me. And that's where the secure, our security as a believer comes. And I, I'm just, I'm so convinced as, as, as I've walked these years with the Lord that as I walk with the conscious 
revelation and affirmation of God's love in my life, that enables me to take risks and enables me to have the courage to do what the Lord wants me to do. But I want us to, to pray, and I'm going to ask the Father just to come to you at, at the conclusion of this conference, and just as he did to Jesus, just to affirm his love for you. He's, he's chosen you, and he loves you. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. I'd like you just to open your heart this morning. I just want you to, to tell the Father that you, you just want to receive a new revelation of his love in your life. You just tell him, Father, I, I just need to know you better. I need to know your love. And you just let him come this, this afternoon by the power of the Spirit and, and just grant you that spirit of adoption. Let him give you that affirmation that says, I am pleased with you. I am proud of you, for you are my beloved child. Father, I pray that you'll just affirm that. Your word says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you to do that. Just shed your rich love abroad in our hearts, Lord. Thank you that we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things are becoming new. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for that. Now I'm going to ask you to stand. And by standing, I want you to signify to the Lord that, that, that you are in need of, of a, a new breakthrough in this area of your life. That you just need a new, this is something new that you, that, that you know needs to happen in your life. And, and if you would, you know, just sense that, boy, that's where I'm at. I, I need a new revelation of the Father's love for me. I'd like you to stand right where you're at. And by doing that, you're just saying, Father, I'm, I'm a candidate to receive a new revelation of your love. Thank you, Lord. As you're secure and, 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 and whole in the Father's love, then you don't need to stand. But for those that say, oh, I need something more from you, Father, today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I'd like the rest of you that are seated, I want you to move to the, the folks that are standing. And I want you to lay your hands on them. And let's ask God to come and just to confirm his love to all these precious brothers and sisters. Go ahead and get out of your seats and move to, to these folks. Let's try to make sure everyone's covered and everyone has someone praying for them. And let's pray in the name of Jesus. That Just ask that the Father's love, the phileo love of the Father, will be poured out upon our brothers and sisters. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net. 